You know, as strange as it is to say it, we are in the Easter season. And ever since I've been in the Valley, we've been here for uh, five and a half years, Easter has always been a season of pure, absolute delight. So our, our family's first Easter here in 2015, we were still with Church of the Incarnation. We went to the sunrise service at Aaron and Paula Cook's, which was legendary. Lamb was actually celebrating its very first sunrise service at Jan's house. And I even recall some banter about where the sunrise was better that year. Regardless if you were up and you remember that year's sunrise on Easter Sunday, it was perfect, absolutely perfect. And, you know, the food, I can only testify for the cook's house, but it was spectacular. So when the sun rose, bells started ringing and loud noises and the singing started. And then there was the celebration of food after. The joy throughout all of it was palpable. Samuel was baptized that day. And so Katie's parents were in town with us. And I still remember thinking to myself, but everyone was saying this, this is how you do Easter. And every year since then has had a similar power to it. It, it seems like to me, as I look back over the last um, five, almost five year, four years of Easter's, um, that God has given us the gift in these years of a foretaste of his untainted goodness, the unpolluted joy that will be ours as God's people when Christ returns and restores all things to God the way they're meant to be. This year, though, is obviously a little different. Even in Easter, there's this shadow lingering over us. And truthfully, not to make light of it, but I think that we're, what we're experiencing right now is closer to what most Christians have experienced in their Easter celebrations throughout history. The palpable tension between the way things are and what we've been promised in the resurrection of Christ. So the, the obvious tension, the dissonance, has never been a reason for Christians to cease the celebration of Easter. It doesn't mean that we strive for joy any less. If you watch Easter celebrations in places like uh, Central Africa, where there are uh, locust plagues occurring right now and also lockdowns because of um, coronavirus, you can tell that the, the celebration is not diminished by the suffering that they're experiencing. This is normal for them. Uh, this year, like so many years for Christians in other times and places, God has at least allowed us to learn something different than years before. God has at least allowed us to learn something uh, about being trained in the joy of our Lord through adversity. No matter how you look at this season, no matter how exactly it affects you personally, it is a trial. It, it is an adversity, not just on a personal level, but on a, a state, national, and worldwide level. But the joy of Christ is the kind of joy that can exist, can even thrive in the midst of adversities like these. It can thrive in the midst of grief and loss. So I, I want to encourage us, challenge us, don't give up on Easter right now. Don't give up on it too early. Don't cut short the celebration of Christ's victory. Don't give up on joy. 
in the midst of grief or anger or whatever else you're experiencing as you walk through this. I'm convinced that God wants us as individuals and as Church of the Lamb to keep listening for the voice of Christ calling us deeper and into new territories of faith, especially right now. I think Christ is especially calling our church not to grow weary or faint-hearted. Instead, even right now, I think he's calling us to be praying, thinking, and planning toward what he's calling us to do to serve him. At the beginning of this season, when this first hit and we weren't able to meet together, I remember the, one of the main passages, a passage the very first Sunday, was Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he told them, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has turned out for the advance of the gospel. And what he's speaking of, what's happened to him, is his imprisonment. And so he says that the brothers have learned to speak the word of Christ without fear because they've seen Paul and his suffering. And from the very first, it occurred to me, and I've prayed, and I know others have too, that God always brings his own glory out of moments like this. God always turns these things somehow for his own glory and for the good of his kingdom. And so he's calling our church to look toward this, the way that he is going to use this for his glory in our lives, in our, the life of our church. Now, this morning, we're listening a second time to Jesus's commissioning of his disciples after his resurrection. Even right now, people of Lamb, we have to continue taking strides to ensure that we are making the disciples of Christ to the degree that he has called us to make disciples. We have to ask ourselves whether we are doing this faithfully or whether God is calling us to stretch ourselves and do more or to do it differently. Now, what does this mean? I talked about last week. Each of us as individuals are called to be part of Jesus's work of teaching people to follow him. And this starts with us as individuals following him. Uh, making disciples is not one of those things that you can say to people, do as I say, but not as I do. It's an incarnational act. It is incarnating the way of Christ through a life of faith, of ongoing repentance and righteous living. It's not to say that we're perfect, but we have to show people what it looks like to follow all of Christ's commands. Part of teaching is doing. So we need to keep repenting of the ways that we're not following Christ ourselves, where our lives might actually inhibit others from following Christ. We also need to become more bold as individuals and in praying for people and praying for opportunities to share the good news of Christ. And we need to become more bold in engaging conversations about Christ and the gospel with the coworkers, with neighbors, with family members, whoever it may be that God is giving us the opportunity to do this with. One of the most essential ways God has called Church of the Lamb to make disciples is through what you and I do week in and week out. You are essential to the way God intends to make disciples through Church of the Lamb. But simply put, you are essential to God's work of making disciples through Church of the Lamb. 
And one of the ways that we intend to grow as a church is by talking and studying scripture more to discern the way Christ shapes our work day in and day out to serve him, whatever that work may be, whether it's as a student, a teacher, a business person, or a mom. This is one of the ways that we want to move forward as a church is help us all think more critically and carefully about where our faith and our work meet in our day-to-day lives. However, God does not only work through us as individuals. As individuals, we represent the church that is sent into the world. But on Sundays and in small groups, we are the church gathered. And Miss Kelly was alluding to this earlier. The word for church in the Bible, ecclesia is the word. It's a word that simply means gathering. But the word has a deceptively powerful meaning. God, in his mercy, gathers his people from out of the world. He gathers us all from our own sinful, idolatrous, and self-destructive paths. This is what our redemption is. He has gathered us out from our own paths in the world to himself. So he gathers us into his love and his forgiveness through Christ Jesus. He gathers us so that we should follow him in worship and service. So church is the gathering of the forgiven and redeemed to worship and serve the king. When we understand what the church is, what it's intended to be, we we can acknowledge that no Christian is an island. And services like we're doing right now, this worship service where we're doing it um, virtually, this kind of stuff will never be enough. Our work as a church when we're gathered and in person is to worship and serve our King. And in doing this, we're making disciples. So Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. Now, this is one of the uh, several statements in the Bible that we call laconic. And what that means is that we're told what we're to do. We have a command from God, but God doesn't spell it out in all the ways that we are going to carry out this command. So, He gives us a few minor details, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. But he doesn't tell us the type of children's ministry we're to use to make these uh, disciples of children. He doesn't tell us what nations exactly we're to go to. He didn't put all the disciples together and say, Thomas, you're going to go to this nation. Matthew, you're going to go to this nation and so on. It's similar to what he did with Abraham when he said, go to the land I will show you. It's going to be a learning on the job kind of experience. You begin doing what he's commanded you to do, and gradually God gives you the wisdom that you need to figure out how to do what he's commanded you to do. He expects us to use the wisdom and creativity that he's given us as human beings and his image bearers to accomplish his purposes. And he also expects us to keep praying for guidance. If God did spell it all out for us, we'd be much more like machines than actual humans and image bearers of God. He expects us to use the gifts he's given us to pray and depend on him for the ongoing guidance that we need to carry out the commands that he's given. So how are we as Church of the Lamb doing 
and making disciples. There are some obvious things here. Uh, we as a church gather in word and in sacrament, meaning we gather to teach Christ's commands, which are represented in all of scripture. Already in our service, we've been listening to lots of scripture. We also baptize as a church and serve communion when we're uh, together as normal. Outside of the explicit, explicit teaching of scripture, though, we also teach scripture in implicit ways. So you've heard the saying with kids that learning things is more caught than taught. So we use liturgy, not because we want to be formal or pretentious, but because liturgy gives us a common language for our worship that's rooted in scripture. It's ancient in this sense, but it's still relevant. It's full of reverence, but it's also full of joy. We use prayers that are saturated with scripture so that scripture actually becomes the, the heart language of our lives. And over time, it begins to frame our own our thoughts naturally, and it hopefully begins to shape our own personal prayers. This was my first experience of liturgy as I was in a church where we prayed the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, and I found that it began to shape my prayers all through the week. And I thought, well, this is a good thing. We're also, as a church, trying to make disciples in age-appropriate ways. Uh, Miss Kelly and Miss Katie and the many children's ministry assistants work with our children in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, helping them encounter Jesus and learn scripture as their own heart language from a very early age. Now, also, similar to the church that we heard described in that passage that Christy read from the book of Acts, we gather in homes during the week. Well, at least when we're not social distancing, to share meals, to reflect on scripture, and to pray so that we can continue to be formed as disciples of Jesus and sent back into the world as his agents of the kingdom. Now, we're finding ways to still do a version of this now, to still be a community, to still grow in love for God and for each other. Now, these are the more obvious things we're doing to make disciples at Lamb. And I want to say this with humility, knowing we always have room to grow. Um, but I really, I mean it. We're doing good work in these areas. Katie told me that in the training they have for catechesis of the Good Shepherd, their, our children's ministry, they have this saying that they repeat often. It's a long, slow work. It's a long, slow work. This is the nature of shaping people's hearts to follow Christ, including our own hearts. Discipleship is a long, slow work. Being formed into the image of Christ is a long, slow work. And in our instantaneous world, we resist anything that is time-consuming and slow-going. Like outdated technology, we feel like it needs to be replaced, upgraded for a better way. But discipleship, growing in the image of Christ, does not work that way. It is a lifelong work done in a habitat where God's forgiving and sanctifying love is present. I, know, I see this kind of love at Lamb. In our worship and our community life, I really see the Spirit of Christ. The uh, Church of the Lamb, here's where I think God wants to challenge us. Jesus says that his people are to make disciples. They're to baptize them and teach them to obey him. 
here within this that Jesus is saying there's to be this ongoing process of baptizing and teaching, an ongoing cycle of people being baptized and taught. And it's not the same people every time. New people coming in, being baptized and taught. It implies this ongoing cycle. Now, here's what I'm asking myself during this season that we're in. How does Church of the Lamb make new disciples? I don't mean this as a crushing negative, a condemnation, but our church has yet to baptize an adult convert to the faith. Our church has seen few new people who are returning to the faith after having wandered from it for a long time, for a long time. Now, again, this isn't condemnation. It's a long, slow work. But are we doing everything we can as a church to call people into the kingdom of God? God has gifted us with this remarkable love and commitment to each other, a desire to worship together. How do we turn this gift outward toward neighbors and coworkers, the poor, the destitute, people who need God? Now, here's the question that I'm going to ask uh, to end with. How has the church done this in the past? And how does this clue us into what Church of the Lamb might be called to do to move in this direction to make new disciples? How has the church in the past gathered in new disciples? Again, Jesus doesn't spell out everything within the commandment of the Great Commission as to how this will work. Every church in every age of history and in every context has to think critically about what it means for that church to carry out Christ's commandment to make disciples. But here's one thing that the church has always done, the church that's been faithful in making disciples. Out of the church's gathered life together has flowed a never-ending stream of good works. Out of the church's gathered life together has flowed a never-ending stream of good works, and these good works orient people to Christ and draw them to Christ. So let me tease this out. Jesus told his disciples, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. That's Matthew chapter five, verse 16. Now what you see in the rest of the Bible, the rest of the New Testament are passages that speak of Christians as people who do good works. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another on to love and good works. One of those good works is that they would not neglect to meet together regularly for worship. Even more, it says, as you see the day approaching, as life becomes difficult, you need to draw nearer to the church. That's one of these good works that we carry out together is a life and faith together. But then there's other passages, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Another passage, Titus chapter 2, verses, verse 14. Christ Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify a people for himself, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Now, 
What we heard in Acts chapter 2 is about a church, a community, who were zealous for good works. They met together. They shared all things in common. They sold their possessions and gave them to anyone who was in need. This is the overflow of good works. And what was the result of this? But that they had favor with all the people. This means people who weren't even part of their community. And then the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm not saying that all that if the church does things exactly perfectly there will always be this end result that the lord adds a flood of people every day who are being saved but i am saying that good works are to be the kind of foyer in which people enter into the life of the church they see what goodness is to be beheld in christ himself and they're drawn to the life of christ christians are to be people who do good not out of a vague commitment to social justice. You know, the social justice movement does not have enough deep roots to sustain itself. No North Star to guide it and to keep it faithful for good. But Christians seek righteousness and justice out of a commitment to Jesus Christ and the kingdom that he has promised for the world in which righteousness and justice will reign forever. And that's what we see embodied in Acts chapter 2, a generosity that becomes that kind of foyer, that front porch, that people get to see the proof of the goodness of Christ. You know, in a world like ours today that is more and more skeptical of faith, the goodness that flows from the church is to function as an antidote to the criticisms against it. And again, this is always a long slow work, but it's a good work. It's the work that our church is called to do. So what has the church done to draw in new disciples to the faith? Well, it's called people to repentance, of course, of a way of life that is not sustainable, that is not good and enriching and true human flourishing that will result in a kind of judgment from God. But the church has also always committed itself to a never-ending stream of good works in which people see this and they behold God. Now, Church of the Lamb, I know that as individuals, we are doing good. Many of you in your vocations, in your family life, all of us are doing good work. We feel called to certain kinds of work in our personal lives of doing good. But we are also called to unite and doing work together for the kingdom of God. Church of the Lamb is called to be a place in East Rockingham, in Rockingham County, that is known for doing good for this place and for the kingdom of God. So even at this stage in our life together, where we're perplexed about what next steps could be, we're thinking and praying, our parish council, we've also put together another team to be asking particular questions like, how do we draw people into the church who are not a part of the church? How do we serve the needs of our community right now? And what's next for Church of the Lamb? How does Church of the Lamb become more established on the other side of this crisis so that it is prepared to serve the needs of our community and to announce the kingdom even more. We feel like God wants us in this season not to be crushed, 
but to grow and to become stronger on the other side of it. Will you be thinking and praying about what it looks like for Church of the Lamb to do this? For me personally, I feel deeply that on the other side of this, while we have a wonderful place to worship in, in Redeemer Classical School, Church of the Lamb to become established needs a place that has its name associated with it on which we can have a, a pavilion that we can meet, something that we can begin to gather there and be known in the community as having a place of worship, a place to gather. That doesn't mean we have to have a building on it immediately, but we need a place on which we can begin to do work. I talked with a pastor in North Carolina this past week where they have a farm that they use to serve the community with food. Every weekend this summer, they're going to be giving away about 100 pounds of food because they have tripled the amount of food they planted so that they could serve the community with it. All this to say that we are called as a church to shine the light of Christ, to draw people in so that we can make disciples, so that we can send them out to make more disciples. So let us, even during this season, Seek the greater glory of God and the greater good of this community that God has put us in by striving to make disciples, by asking ourselves how it is that God has called us to be part of his work of renewing all things, part of the resurrection work of Christ, of bringing renewal to his world and renewal to human beings by announcing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.